is all about you and how you feel, I guarantee you, you're going to sabotage this relationship, right, from the get-go. And what we tend to do when we're in a conflict is we become very aware of how we feel about what's going on. We look at the other person and we just think, and naturally, don't they know how miserable they're making me feel? Don't they know, uh, you know, everything that's going on, you know, inside me? And that becomes something we're just completely preoccupied with to the exclusion of everything else, okay? And then what that does is that begins to then drive everything that we do in response or in reaction, okay? And, it, and in our minds, how we're feeling in this circumstance justifies everything that we, we say in, in response or do in response because we're just thinking about ourselves in the middle of it. And that's, that's the first way we sabotage our relationship. And a basic assumption that we have to start with, and I don't think that this is like uh, rocket science or anything that, you, that this probably never uh, come to mind, but when you have two people in a room, you can have three opinions. And we don't always see eye to eye, and that's, that sometimes that's what attracts us to people and what makes our relationships strong, but it's also what pushes us apart. And so in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, oh, I just quoted, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul was writing to uh, the Corinthians, and they were in kind of a, a, a point of tension and conflict in their community. And he was encouraging them real simply. He said, whatever you do, whatever you say or do or think, do it to God's glory. And when we're in the middle of these situations where we're having tension and we're just making it all about us, the, fir- the starting point for moving forward in any meaningful way is you've got to say, God, however I feel about this situation, whatever's going on, I want with your help, to say and do things that please you and bring you honor. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to make you feel better. It doesn't necessarily mean that the other person is going to feel better. But that has to be your plumb line. That has to be your starting point is, what does God say you should do in this situation? What, what's God's will in the middle of this? Not when you're just thinking about yourself, you lose that perspective. And so and now this is something you have to embrace as a way of life because most of the time when you're in the middle of that situation, without God's help, you're going to just kick into the reflex mode and you're going to make the situation worse because when you're just preoccupied about you, uh, you're in a reactive mode. But when you step back and go, okay, God, I want what I say and what I do to, to please you and to bring honor to you, it's a game changer in those situations because all of a sudden, when you've lost perspective and you have that attitude, it's like whoosh, things come back into focus. And, and I know lots of people just simply by saying, in my life, Lord, I want you to be pleased in the way I relate to my, my, uh, in my relationships when we get into conflict. God hears that prayer and the desire of your heart, and he will help that desire to get rooted down and grow and begin to, to exert 
a powerful influence in your life. He will work in you to help you not to make it all about you in every conflict. Now, second way we sabotage our relationships is we make it all about them. We make it all about them. It's not about us, it's about them. And so what we do is we look at them and we think there's a problem here and they own all of it. We magnify, instead of magnifying how we feel, we magnify them and all the wrong things that they're doing. What they're saying, what they're not saying, what they're doing, what they didn't do. And that just becomes this huge elephant in the room. And we can't even move around the room because it's so big. And we just look at the problem completely from the perspective that it's their problem. It's not mine at all. And again, that's a very human thing to do. You ever done that before? Have you ever gotten into an argument just because you thought the other person totally owned it? It's, it's kind of... Uh, <laughs> the moments that God brings into our lives to humble us are really helpful. They're really important. And we need to, we need to embrace them. And one of my weaknesses is I, I tend to think I'm the cleverest guy in the room. Okay? Being honest. Amen. It's, not the best part of my, it's not the best part of my personality. But we were, we were talking this morning after we prayed, and one of the guys brought up this commercial during the Buckeyes game. And I said, wasn't that the craziest commercial? And I made this point about it, and, they, and, and Rick and Steve looked at me and said, no, that's not what the commercial was about at all. I go, oh, yeah, it was. And they go, no, it was about this. And I said, no, I kept saying to everybody. I was in, over at my daughter's house, and everyone was, we're all sitting around. This commercial kept coming on at a certain point. I said, and I made this point about the commercial, and everybody kind of looked at me. And I thought, don't you guys get it? Don't you get it? And everyone was just looking at me, and it was kind of like, I didn't, I, I just thought, obviously, I'm the cleverest person in the room, <laughs> right? And so Steve and Rick were talking about that same commercial. And I said, yeah, how could they, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they go, well, that's not what it was about. And I go, what? They go, it was about this. And I go, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and then I realized why everybody looked at me, but nobody wanted to say to me, are you that dull? You, don't you get it? The point of the commercial, I just went, you know, I always go like this. When you guys don't get my dull jokes like this. And Steve went, John. <laughs> and I went, oh boy, that's a humbling moment here. You know, I thought I was so clever that I saw this thing in the commercial that nobody else saw. I didn't see the obvious point of the commercial. So it was one of those little moments. Well, that's the problem a lot of times we have when we're in conflicts, is we don't see what's obvious, that they don't own it all, that we own some part of it. Sometimes we own the lion's share of it. Oftentimes, it's more evenly distributed, the blame, in a conflict. But that's not how we look at it. And so, Jesus said in Matthew 7, here's Jesus, he's got, there's so much wisdom in, in everything Jesus said. He said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, and he's speaking in a hyper hyperbole here, obviously. 
He says, you hypocrite. First, take that plank out of your own eye, and obviously you will see clearly enough to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, he's just basically saying, you need to look at what you can own of the problem first before you start trying to anoint the other person as the problem. That you need to stop and take moral inventory beforehand. And if we take inventory and we take responsibility first, it is, it is like a gift to the other person in the conflict or in where the tension is because suddenly they look and they go, wow, this person is trying to humble themselves. They're owning something. Even before I have to point it out to them how wrong they are. Because let me tell you something. People have, ra- we all have radar about this whole issue. And when one person in the problem radar kicks in and sees you are taking ownership and you're showing some perspective and you're trying to take responsibility, boy, the the tension in that moment just starts vanishing. It's amazing what happens. So you can sabotage your relationships by making it all about a you or all about them. That's two ways you can sabotage it. The third way is you can make every conflict a public battle. You can make every conflict a public battle. And that's a a very common temptation. Uh, The way that that we sabotage our relationships is we take something that should be between us and someone else and we, we, we put it on display. We make it a public thing. You ever done that before? Have you ever had that happen to you? And what happens as soon as it becomes public? I mean, whatever the tension level is, as soon as it becomes public, doesn't it just go off the charts? It's like, DEFCON 5! You know, scramble the bombers. You know, put on the gas gear. It's like, you know, a cage match. But when it's private, it's not that there's not tension in the moment, but it's oftentimes manageable. And so when you take it public, you take it someplace that destroys the possibility of peace. Now, the best way, what we need to do when we're in those situations is ask ourselves, what's the best way I can approach this person in private to talk about this? What's the best way I can approach it in private to talk about it? And not ask ourselves, who else can I talk to about this problem that will be on my side? Because that's what we often do. We feel aggrieved, and sure, we want someone to understand our side, and so we go and start talking to different people, this person, and this person, and this person, and this person. All the while, without any perspective about who owns what, whose fault is what, who shouldn't do what, who did do this, who didn't do that. And everybody has part of the story, our part of the story. And we have injured the reputation of this other person. Oftentimes, we make ourselves look bad and injure our reputation with these people 
Because maybe that other person has already talked and told their story. That's often how it works. It's like we just scurry around and we try to find people to be on our side. And all that does is sabotage our relationship. It, it sabotages work relationships. It sabotages friendships, relationships in the body of Christ, a marriage, and, and you know, romantic relationships. Every kind of relationship in the world gets, a, gets sabotaged by that kind of behavior. So again, Matthew records a lot of relationship wisdom in his gospel. And in Matthew 18, he says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so what he's saying is, your first responsibility when you're in a conflict is keep it between you two. That is your first responsibility. And it's, I think it's a sacred responsibility. But it's not something... Th- this is probably one of the most common ways that we sabotage relationships. We have to keep conflicts between us and someone else between us. Unless both of us consent to having someone else come in that we can both trust. Now, it doesn't mean you can't talk to anybody else about that. But you can only go and talk to other people if, they, if those people fulfill certain criteria. That's really important. All of us have to have people that we can talk to and share and confidence something we're struggling with so that we're not just wrestling with it on our own. But those people that we talk to have to fit certain kinds of criteria or we violate this really important principle that Jesus established here that maintains community and harmony and relationships. Because trust me, when, when conflict kicks in, our best side doesn't often come forward first. Our worst side comes forward. And one of the things that, that we should want is when our worst side comes up, we want another person to not expose it to everybody unnecessarily. And so we shouldn't expose their worst side when we're seeing it unnecessarily too. Because isn't that the golden rule? To treat other people the way you want to be treated? But we rush out a lot of times and we start talking to people. And it's understandable because we're hurt and we want someone to understand us. And sometimes, unfortunately, we say things because we want, we've been hurt by that person. We want to hurt them back. And we know if we tell this person, they'll think bad about them and somehow that will hurt them. But that's not, you know, in our better moments, that's not how we want to live our lives. And so we have to adopt certain commitments before that happens and prepare for it so that when the fire drill happens, we're ready for it. And there's, there's three criteria you can use to determine who you can share these things with outside of that person that you're in the conflict with. These are what they are. They need to be someone who is objective. They don't have a horse in the race. They aren't already mad at that person. They're not going to flatter you. They're not a person that, that uh, you know, is untrustworthy. They're objective in the, in the biblical sense. They're fair-minded people. They're thoughtful people. They're not going to get drawn into. They don't have a problem in that same area, and they're going to take your side. 
You don't want that. That's not what you need. You need someone who's objective, but someone who cares. Secondly, they have to be people who can offer wise counsel. They got to be people who you can listen to and trust because as soon as you start sharing, at some point, you're going to say, what do you think I should do, right? And you don't want someone who has a history of wrecked relationships. Their life is a train wreck, and you're taking counsel for them, right? That's like nobody goes to the doctor who's got his degree online, right? Got the, got the brain surgery degree online. Didn't ever have to go to a brick-and-mortar school and train, you know? He... he, he he did it all in 3D digital work. Yeah, you're going to let that guy work on your brain. I don't think so. Well, we can't pick people who aren't at least as mature as us, if not more mature, right? That's a recipe for disaster because they're going to give us advice. We're going to go back and it's going to make the situation worse. Third, they have to be people who can keep it confidential. How many times have you ever shared something you're struggling with with someone and, you know, it's in a chat room somewhere. It's, it's you know, it's, it's on the, the ESPN crawl link the next day, right? You, whoa! You need to choose people who are objective, people who can give you wise counsel, and people who can keep their mouth shut. If they can't do that, don't open your mouth to them because they're not going to help you. They're, they're not going to make the situation you're in worse. And if you value the relationship that you have, don't sabotage it that, by going outside that relationship without those, those proper constraints. So the fourth way we, we sabotage our relationships is we make every conflict either about getting along or about being right. We make our conflicts, oftentimes, these, these moments of friction, we see them and we either go, I just want to get along, which is an instinct. Who wants more trouble in their life? I get that. Or we make it about, this is a, this is a grudge match to the death about who is right. <laughs> you, ever, you ever been in those moments before? It's, and, and, you're, and you're hearing things come out of your mouth and you're going, why am I saying that? This doesn't matter. It's this tiny little thing and we're, we're waging war over nothing. Just so who can get the last word in? Who can, who can be right and has the upper hand? So there's, there's the peacekeeper person and then there's the person who, who's stubborn beyond belief. Those are two ends of the spectrum, opposite ends that both sabotage our relationships. And so... If we minimize problems by keeping the peace, we're only going to be throwing gas on the fire because peacekeeping never resolves anything. Peacemaking is costly. Peacemaking is what Jesus did. He showed us he, his whole life was, was making peace between us and God. And look at the cost. Look at the cross. It's painful to make peace. There's no avoiding it. And so when we try to keep the peace, we try to just smooth things over when you can't smooth things over. I mean, there is a time to be patient. 
There is a time to overlook offenses. There is a time to be kind and, and return good for evil. But there's a point, too, where you have to stop and say, we have to dig into this. We can't gloss this over. The problem has, has gotten to the point where uh, patience is, is run out. And this doesn't just demand patience for someone's immaturity. There's, there's real uh, evil going on here. There's real wrongdoing going on here. And so the peacekeeping part of us, which we all have, we all struggle with, is a part of us that we have to uh, challenge and we have to uh, seek to, to grow out of. And then the being right part is also this stubborn part of us and there's a lot we could say, I could say about the being right, stubborn part of us. It is, a, it is a very deeply rooted part of our sinful nature. But it's also something that can yield to God's grace. But a lot of times when we have to be right, it's a way, not just of being prideful, but it's a way of self-protection. Because it's like us saying, I'm not going to keep getting taken advantage of. I'm not going to keep being the doormat. And we, when we have that kind of an instinct, that isn't an instinct that you can just white-knuckle it over. You're doing that out of reaction to something. And if you don't ask what's below the surface of that and get to that, you're not going to ever stop reacting that way. And that's a, a journey. We could talk about that another time. So... We have to ask, how can I pursue genuine rec re reconciliation? Not how can I keep the peace or how can I prove that I'm right? We have to make reconciliation our goal. Here's what Jesus said. Again, Matthew is full of this, this uh, incredible wisdom about relationships. He says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. And what he's saying there is, to, to the Jews, who, to them, the highest priority they had was worship. And when they were bringing their gift to the altar to offer the sacrifice to uh, be reconciled to God, Jesus was saying, there's something just as important that if you're overlooking, that gift won't mean anything. It won't mean anything to you. And it won't mean anything to God if you don't go and reconcile with someone before you come offer that gift. And again, this is this point where it isn't saying that people are more important than God, but a lot of times people spiritualize things and think, I'm just cool with God, but my life is full of wrecked relationships and I'm not doing anything to resolve them. Now, you can't fix every relationship because it's a two-way street. But... When you draw near to God, God's going to regularly be tapping you on the shoulder and, and just whispering in your ear, what about so-and-so? What about here? What about them? What about that person? What about here? Because Jesus came like the cross shows us. He came to reconcile us to God and to one another. He came to bring reconciliation. And so he's saying here, Make reconciliation your main concern by practicing forgiveness and then pursuing mutually beneficial solutions to conflict. It isn't always assigning blame. A lot of times it just comes down to asking people, 
hey, I, I've been struggling with our relationship, and, I, and I, I want it to be better. What can I do in this situation that will make it easier on you? And negotiate and talk about it. You may think that sounds like that would never work. You'd be surprised how many times just offering that kind of a, having that kind of a conversation opens a door. And the other person's thinking sort of the same thing, but they didn't want to, to broach the subject. It's really possible not to sabotage your relationships. And so, the, the, again, if we make our conflict all about us, we're going to sabotage them. So what we do is we make pleasing God our priority. And that takes the, the spotlight off of us and our interest and say, we want God's interest first. Then if we make it all about them, that'll sabotage our relationships. So what we do is we take self-inventory and take responsibility for the stuff that we do that's wrong. This reviewing here. Third, if we make every conflict a public battle the way that we often do, bringing other people into it, not keeping it something between us and this person that we're in the conflict with, what we should do is go to the other person in private and work it out and keep other people out of it that aren't a part of it. And then last of all, if we make every conflict about getting along or being right, we, just, we can solve that by making real reconciliation our main concern. Now, in the, one of my favorite movies of all time is this really old movie called Ben-Hur. And uh, some, of you, some of you have seen it. Uh, it's on every Christmas, it seems like, or every Easter. I'm sorry, every Easter. And there's a, there's a famous scene in there where this, this man, who's the main protagonist, uh, played by Charlton Heston, Ben-Hur, all the way through the movie, this guy is just getting... Uh, he, Everything went wrong in his life, and he just suffers injustice from the Romans and his best friend, and everything just goes wrong. His family is wrecked. He loses everything. He becomes a slave. And, and anyway, by a turn of fortune, he comes back to his hometown and comes back to Israel. He's sent away by the Romans, and he's supposed to die, but he doesn't. He comes back, and and he's going to get even because he comes back and he's like a, one of the most powerful. He's been adopted by one of the most powerful men in Rome. And he's going to get even with his best friend who, who destroyed his life. And so there's this uh, wrenching series of events. And at the end, he is, he's, he's won. And his, fr- and his friend, used to be his best childhood friend, who betrayed him, is dying, and he's standing over his broken body. It's the famous scene, the chariot scene, where he gets trampled. There literally was someone trampled. One of the extras was trampled, but this actor is laying there, and he's all bloodied and bruised, and he's dying, and he reaches up to Judah, and Judah's just feeling this gross satisfaction that revenge gives you, and he reaches up, and he says, Judah, you know, you think your family's dead, your mother and your sister? They're not. You know where to find them? And he grabs them. He says, they're not dead. Because he thought his sister and mother were dead. And he goes, 
You can find them in the valley of the lepers. Uh, and so he, oh, he grabs him. You know, he's like, he wants to kill him. He knows he's dying. And then he, he, he looks up and he goes, the race goes on, Judah. And he dies. <laughs> right? And so, and so Judah, Judah Ben-Hur, he's just trapped in this sabotaging his life with his anger and his vengeance. And so he goes and finds his mom and sister, and they have leprosy, and, you know, he's risking his life, and he's bringing them out, and everyone's avoiding them, and they're throwing stones at him. And then all of a sudden, this, this, this uh, solemn procession comes, and you see this man carrying this cross through the street, you know, and, and, the, and everyone's, like, uh, mocking him and yelling, it's Christ. And so he falls down. Uh, Judah runs over him and picks him up, and he looks up at Judah, and, G- and Judah remembers who he is at this point, because he was a man that when Judah was about to die, he, Jesus gave him some water. And so he, uh, he has this moment where uh, he has, a, in a sense, a con- he has a, what we would call a conversion experience. And he realizes that through, his, through this person, Jesus, uh, what a fool he'd been. And he comes back to his sisters and he tells them that uh, it was like he took the sword out of my hand. And this is what Jesus does for us. Jesus is the great peacemaker. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they're the sons of God. Because he is the peacemaker. But he was suffering the sin that we experience, that we're reacting against. So when other people sin against us, we react normally, naturally. We should react. And it's hurtful when we sin against one another. And, it will, and sin destroys us. And it destroys the people we hurt. But Jesus took all that punishment, the power of that sin. And if we put our trust in him, and we surrender our lives to him, and we come to him and give that that we struggle with inside, when that reflex in you wants to make it about them or about you or any of the ways that we sabotage our relationships, Jesus alone to take that reaction out of us and replace it with patience, with forgiveness, with humility, with love, with a desire to please the Father. All the things that Jesus has and is he will put in us. But we don't, we don't even desire that unless we can connect the pain that we're experiencing with the pain of our sin. That it's our sin which is the real problem. Our sin. It's not everybody else's sin. It's our sin, and we have to deal with it first. It is, it is the issue. So today I want to ask you, if you want to start this new year off right and you want to not sabotage your relationships, you have a, a choice to make. You can embrace the calling to be a peacemaker and say, Jesus, I want to be like you. But to do that, you have to yield your life to him in a very real way. Open your heart up to him. And maybe each of these four ways that I've described it, that we sabotage our relationships are sort of a merry-go-round that you're on. 
that you're, that you're regularly doing this. You will not get off that merry run on your own. You won't get wiser in your heart unless your heart changes through the power of God's grace. And it only, you only experience his grace through the person of Jesus. It isn't a certificate you get. It comes through the relationship that God wants to have with you through Jesus. And then that relationship will start changing your relationships. And you will make some of the same mistakes. And you'll sabotage relationships at different times, but you will do it less and less and less and less because as you pursue Him, His grace, the grace of His person just seeps into you and your reflexes start changing. Your reactions start being transformed. And maybe this holiday season, which is typical for us, we come back from the holiday season a bit bruised because sometimes we have to be around people. I've had a lot of people tell me, I'm not looking forward to going back home to be with, you know, blah, 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 right? Anybody have any of those moments this year? And maybe in, in that season, this last few weeks, you look back and remembered how, why you don't look forward to going back home, to being around those people. Because a lot of stuff that's happened in the past has just never been resolved. And you, you can't get past it. And it robs you of a part of your life that God wants you to reclaim. Now, this is following Jesus. This isn't a guarantee that all those things are going to get sorted out. But they will never get sorted out without Jesus. They won't. So, I want to ask you today. If you want to start the new year and invest in your relationships instead of sabotage them, the best way you can do that is just saying yes to Jesus and and re-upping your trust in Him, re-upping your your opening your life to Him and saying, Jesus, I want to follow you again. I want to be like you. Because, you know, like like that last song that Scott led uh, that we sang last week too, it's a new song. He just says to all of us who are broken, and that's what we're talking about, is, is this our sinful brokenness. We want that to change. So, if you're here today, and you want that to change in your life, uh, and you don't know how to do that, all you need to do is open your heart to Jesus. And say, so Jesus, come into my life. I want to start following you today. I want to start investing in my relationships instead of sabotaging them. So why don't you stand with me and let's pray together. We're going to just invite God's presence. and I want to pray. And if some of you have, you know, some heavy heart, this, this has brought to mind some... You have a heavy heart about some relationship. And you just want someone to pray with you. You don't have to go into the whole nitty-gritty of the relationship. You just can, I just want to invite you to come up here before you leave and just have one of the folks, our small group leaders, prayer team people, just agree with you in prayer that God would begin to guide you on how to sort out and reclaim this relationship or these relationships 
Because maybe there's a, a, a handful of them that, that where things have broken down between you and someone else. And maybe something that I've said today has been helpful. But you, need to, you just need to bring that before God and say, God, help me. Help me. Would you pray for me? And so just, you can just give them a, a, a brief, this is what's going on. Pray with me, and they'll pray with you. So I, I like some, our, our small group leaders, prayer team people. Just come up front and stand here right now before we pray. Like four, five, six people, if you guys could come up. Uh, and we'll just be waiting here for you. And don't go out and try to, you know, don't do it alone, kids. Don't try this at home alone. Uh, we're asking Jesus to help you. We're asking you to help Jesus. And, and come and, and seek prayer today. Lord, uh, we thank you for this new year ahead. Uh, we're excited about the possibilities and we're excited about uh, the potential and what you have in store for us. You, uh, you're just rich in your grace and your goodness and, and we thank you for that. But Lord, we also have some struggles that we're facing and we want to bring them before you today. We know that you're more aware of them than we are. Thank you for uh, the relationships you've given us at work and our family and friends and uh, all those in our lives that, that our lives are intertwined with theirs. Lord, where those relationships have, have been damaged, we ask for your grace to begin to come into our hearts that we can begin to do our part to repair them. Lord, help us to reclaim the rich treasure you've given us in our relationships. Lord, anybody here in our fellowship, anybody that, that was here that's gone now, anybody that was a part of our lives that is gone now, that we've let go of, we just pray that you would put those on our hearts that you want us to go to, that you want us to pray about. Maybe make amends, apologies. Uh, help us to reclaim what we've lost, Jesus. You're the great peacemaker. Lord, you see what's in our hearts. You see the struggles we've had. You see our stubbornness and pride and our hurt. Lord, you see our, all the parts of us that are a mess. We open our, our hearts to you today again and invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and meet us and fill us. We pray for the, 